There are a lot of strange phrases in the English language, I'm sure, that you've become... we become so familiar with some of these that we don't even think of how strange they are. But someone somewhere came up with the phrase, it's raining cats and dogs, for example. I don't know what... am I off? No? Oh, yes, I am. Okay, I thought I... there's too many things to click on when I get up here. Um, I don't know who the person was who, who looked out and saw rain and that made them think of cats and dogs. So that's a strange phrase, but it's just become accepted. Uh, but we have, beyond that, we have some phrases that, um, that aren't just strange in themselves, but they're strange in a way that um, it tells you a little bit about whoever coined the phrase or even those who use it. Uh, and, and even some of these are, are interesting because people think that some of these are in the Bible. So we're going to do a little, uh, I'm going to do a little uh, pictorial quiz here. And, and, uh, and we'll see if you can guess what these phrases are. You know what that one is? This is a strange one. Children should be seen and not heard. That's a strange phrase. That tells you, but that tells you something about the people who made that, what their value system was. That's a strange phrase. We should see children, but we should never hear children. Now, there's times where I don't want to hear my children, but those tend to be like, if I have a migraine headache, I don't want to see them. I don't want to see you. I don't want to, I, I, I mean, I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to see anything. It's, it's not like just the children and I don't want to, they're okay to see, but I don't want to hear them. It's anybody. I don't want to hear myself. I, I don't want any noise whatsoever. But that, that we should just, the, the children, they're okay to see. They, they can be in public. We just don't want them talking. That's a strange one. Here's another one. You know what that one is? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, this is one that people think are in the Bible. People think that's in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Like, that's, a, that's even stranger. This is stranger because Jesus kind of addressed the topic, right? Jesus kind of had some people that were really big on washing hands, and he's like, you're not really big on that. That is not next to godliness. It's, it's decidedly way down the street from godliness. Doing good so far. This might be a harder one. Maybe not. God helps those who help themselves. Um, no, 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 it doesn't. God helps those who cannot help themselves. That that's kind of the entire point of Jesus coming here is that we could not help ourselves, and in fact, trying to help ourselves has been making the problem worse. Right? We're actually going to get into that a little bit today. Uh, and this was this is this will be a hard one here. This is kind of the subject of what we're talking about. You won't get this one. Familiarity breeds contempt. And this is, this is strange, because if you, if you Google the phrase familiarity with any context of, of Christianity, you will find page after page after page about the sin of familiarity. And I'm here to tell you that's not in the Bible. Now the verses that they will use to support that have nothing to do with familiarity. 
The assumption is that if we are familiar with God, then we will not reverence God. That is, by the way, that's the same logic that people use when they say, well, you know what, we're going to have communion quarterly because we don't want to get too used to it. So we're going to look at this idea. First of all, I want to say that familiarity is uh, it's expected by God. First John 3, 1, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And this is the language of the relationship denies the fact that God does not want us to be familiar. The first word that he uses to describe the relationship is that of father, which then implies children. I want you to think about the, the, the problem of familiarity in your home. Is, it, is that a great problem in your home? Being too familiar with dad. My observation in, in history is that it has been the opposite that breeds contempt. It is the lack of a, of a present father in the home that breeds contempt. That's always, it is the distant relationship that people look back on later in life and resent parents for. It is not being too close. You know, you know what I can't stand? Our family was so close. No one says that. That's never been said. Familiarity does not breed contempt. But let's, let's look a little bit further because this is a, a verse we read. It, it looks almost redundant. Uh, Romans 8, 14 and 15, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. We talked about that, the, the relationship, the nature of the relationship. That was our first sermon. He says, But you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now this is important. How many of you have a pet name by your children or grandchildren? What's your pet name? Or is that too embarrassing? Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> Anybody have one that's not embarrassing? Papa. Papa. Abba. The word father is the Hebrew word here, or excuse me, the Greek word alb. It's almost identical in Hebrew. Alb. Then what is Abba? It's a pet name. The kids don't pronounce it right, right? That's a lot where a lot of our pet names come from. Pop, pop, or whatever, you know. Whatever, whatever those, those, those nicknames when they can't pronounce them right, that's where a lot of parental nicknames come from. This is Abba. The pet name for a dad. It's not Alba. Alba. Hard to say, Abba. Easy to say. And so, so this is the nature of the relationship that, that we, as children, get to call God Daddy. That is familiar. That is the definition of being familiar. Being close. 
Romans 8, 29, there's more language for the relationship. He says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, this one is a little bit harder for us to get a hold of because we experience sibling rivalry. Right? We have issues between the siblings. And so, so when you say, well, Jesus Christ is my brother, oh, I'm getting in a lot of fights here, or what? You know, we, we don't do that. Well, let me, let me explain what he means by this. So one of the things. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. I'll tell you a story about Hacker Street. I did a paper route. I had a paper up, and um, I was before I even had this paper. This, this neighborhood that we lived in uh, had a notorious street. I hated this street. It was called Hacker Street, and there was a, a bully named Frankie that lived on Hacker Street. He was a couple years older than me, and uh, no one really liked Frankie. Uh, and and one day he caught a hold of me. I, I hated when I even when I had the paper out. I hated it. I was like, oh no, please not not just don't let Frankie be out when I'm doing my papers. Which is every day. Uh, but, but he got a hold of me once, and uh, I think I was in sixth grade. So I wasn't doing my paper out yet. And, and he got me in a headlock, and I don't know why, but he had a jar of must, a, a bottle of mustard, like French's mustard, and he just soaked my hair with mustard. Uh, I don't know what Frankie was doing walking around the neighborhood with mustard, just looking for someone to get. I don't know. But I happened to be there, and I happened to get it. Now, my brother and I famously do not get along. I mean, I one time almost tore a door apart with a baseball bat trying to get at my brother. It's a good thing that I ran out of energy. I kind of look back at time like, that's scary. We could not stand each other. I came home with mustard in my hair, and Tom went out the door. A brother is born for adversity. Sometimes the adversity is between them. But, but when, when, when the little brother's in trouble, when, when something's happening, well, I'll mess with them, but you won't. Right? That, that's kind of the way family is. This, is. this is the idea, not that we get in fights with Christ, but, but, but Christ is born for adversity. Christ is a brother for adversity. Christ came here to save us, and, and God talked about this, came to save us from ourselves, really. <laughs> we say we're saved from sins. Yeah, that's me. I did the sinning. Christ is here to save me from myself. Christ came for adversity. And we get to call him this familial, close. Just the fact is that the word family is in the word familiar. It kind of is defined. Familiarity has a definition. It doesn't breed contempt. So I want to look at what familiarity looks like. And then we kind of got a little bit of a picture. But I, but I want to look at some different levels. First of all, let's look at the ground level where we know about God. He says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever, for the day of eternity. Amen. And this is 
this is the ground level where I can. We've been doing this actually in Sunday Sunday morning class where where we're going through theology and we're beginning talking about God. What is God like? And we we know some facts about God and we talk about his eternity and we've talked about different things about God. And this is important. If you're going to get close to someone, you need to know about them. Right. That's kind of where we start. We start by knowing about somebody. And sadly, this is where many people end. To be able to describe things about somebody. That is a first step. That is, that is ground level. That's, that, that's, the, that's relationship 101. But 101 is, that's like the introductory course. Being able to describe somebody doesn't mean you know them. There's a difference. A distant reverence sounds humble and pious, but that is not the goal that God wants. That, that's necessary for the accomplishing of something, but, but that's not what God wants. He says, this is eternal life that they know you. And in this verse, this is Jesus. He's praying right before he's going to... This is John 17. They call it the high priestly prayer. He's getting ready to go out and be arrested. They're, they're leaving the upper room after they've had the Passover. And this, this whole chapter is a prayer with the disciples. This is not the prayer in the garden, but he's praying before they leave. He says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ also whom you've sent. Jesus' desire for the disciples is not that they know about God. It's that they know God. And there is a big, there's a world of difference. Knowing somebody cannot be accomplished without familiarity. Not just familiarity with, with facts about the person, trivia things. Things that might win you, uh, you know, a game show. Okay. That's facts about what is their favorite food? What is their, that's, that's not really being familiar it's, it's connected. But to know God. Genesis chapter 3. Or, uh, yeah, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to actually read the whole, not the whole chapter, but a whole section. And then we'll kind of look at some parts of it. Genesis chapter 3. It's not going to fit up here. So we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more cunning, the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the tree in the garden, except for the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, you can't touch that one or else you'll die. We talked about that, not exactly accurate, but she's doing her best. No, he said, you won't die. Serpent said to the woman, In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You'll know good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to look at and it was desirable to get wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. She gave some to her husband. He was with her. He ate it. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening. And they 
uh, or in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God and from among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man. He said, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he said, who told you you were naked? Well, um, did you eat from that tree that I told you not to? And we know the rest of the story. And we're going to come back to it a little bit. But I want to look at a couple of things. First of all, I want to look at their familiar, because their familiarity with God is described in a couple of different ways in here. The first thing is that they knew the sound of God in the garden. That's, to me, that it is, that's a statement that we just read right through on the way to the important stuff. And that tells me that God was regularly in the garden. And you know the sound of certain people on the steps, right? You know, this person's on the steps. This person has a certain walk. We're familiar. They, you know, they, they actually have technology now. Uh, like, like all this facial recognition and, and various things like that. They actually have technology that can identify you based on your walk. That's scary. Like... like <laughs> Because like, people will, I'm going to break into cars and stuff like that, and, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to cover my face and, and do something so they can't do the facial recognition. Good. They've got you walking. And they can match your walk with a computer. Your walk is, is individual to you as your fingerprint. That's crazy. You have a walk. That's, that's kind of scary. But, but there's a sound. And I don't know what the sound of God was. in the Maybe it was just like it could be nothing else. So it was obviously God. But, but it tells me that they're familiar with this particular sound. That they didn't see him. They heard him in the garden. And they're like, ooh, better hide. So they were familiar. That means there's an ongoing connection that they have with God up to this point. That tells me that, that this wasn't like day two that, that this all happens. We, we kind of joke, like, oh, I wonder how, how long it was that they were in the garden before the, before, probably it was probably like the second afternoon. I don't think so. I think they did good for us some time. Long enough to build a relationship with God that they knew his sound before they ever saw him. That's something. There was a relationship. There was, there was closeness. But that's not the only way it shows familiarity. Because... The serpent comes to them with the temptation, and they knew God's likes and dislikes. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or else you'll die. Now they weren't, she was not 100% familiar with what he wanted. She's, she's a little off in her description, because she said something that God never said. But she basically knows... One thing that God really doesn't want us to do. That is an important part of being familiar. Knowing not just some descriptions of somebody, but, but knowing their, their likes. When you're around somebody, you know, you know kind of like the colors they like. Right? Oh, they, they like this color. Or, or uh, they, they would like... They like this decor. 
right? You, you, they like this type of a thing. And we, we typically mark that in our minds because when it comes to time for buying presents, it's not just information we store up for useless things, like, hey, that person likes purple, you know, I might be quizzed on this or something. But, but we, we remember these things for the development of the relationship. When I'm purchasing something for someone, oh, you know what, I know that they won't like that. Right? This is where that, that gets stored, hopefully, hopefully that gets stored in that part of the brain. Uh, and, and the longer that we're together, or around somebody, the more we know about their likes and dislikes. And familiarity at least should motivate you. I, I think it did motivate them. I, I think, as I say, I think they were in there a while before, before they, they got this inclination to do this thing. Genesis 3, 6 says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. So, so they kind of made the wrong decision. But there's an expectation, I think God has the expectation, that, that familiarity was going to produce an obedience. I think that's part of why he was spending time with them, hoping that this would foster the relationship that he desired, that, that they would live and act a certain way because of the closest, not in spite of the closest. Now, not, you know what? If God it never comes, we'll, we'll be great. I think, I think things would have happened a lot sooner if God was never around. I'll give you an illustration. Um, the time comes for buying flowers, right? It's, a, it's, up, it's around the corner. Now, there are certain expectations depending on the time of year. But let's, we're going to change up the expectation here a little bit. Maybe, let's not tie it to a particular holiday where certain flowers are expected. I know, I hope, that my wife likes calla lilies. I'm that's the favorite one, right? Whew. 20 years. Whew. That was scary. Now, so I go to get flowers. Now, she likes all flowers. Probably most women like But let's say she just, that's the particular one. She kind of has the expectation. And I go in, I'm like, whew, those are expensive. So I will get carnations. They're on sale this week. Now, <clears throat> who am I doing this for? Who am I buying flowers for? I'm buying flowers for me. That's who I'm buying flowers for. Because I'm really trying to please myself. Everything about this is not about... It looks like the flowers are for her because I'm going to hand them to her. But I'm, A, thinking about my cost and still at the same time hoping that I'm going to get the benefit of giving the flowers. See, I'm hoping that in both situations, I will be the one appeased. It's not a sacrifice for the person who's getting the flowers. And this is the concept 
that God is hoping familiarity with him will say, you know what, I want to do what God wants. I don't want to try to get away with what I can get away with and hope that it'll be okay. I want to make sure that, that this is the intended behavior that, that God wants. This is what familiarity is supposed to encourage and accomplish. It doesn't breed contempt. So I want to go back and look then at just kind of Adam and Eve's specific decision process with that in mind. <clears throat> because we, they eat the fruit, and, and we, we see this, and they say, Well, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And there's, we jump from verse 6 to verse 8. But there's a verse in between there that's, that's, that's rather important. <clears throat> they know what God wants. We, we saw that. They explained to Satan really well, small, they, they kind of went too far, but essentially they explained what God wants. So, so they were familiar with what God wanted. Made the wrong decision, verse 6. But that is not when they hid. They hide in verse 8. But verse 7 is in between there. Well, let's back up then and see what verse 7 says. It says, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, we could go a lot of directions in here. They hid themselves in verse 8. Now, why did they hide themselves in verse 8? Now, let's hold verse 7 in your mind for just a second. God comes. They didn't hide because they had done something bad. Adam didn't say, we hid because we knew you were going to be ticked off because we ate the tree. They did not hide because they ate from the tree. Why did they hide? We hid... Because I was naked. Wait, 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 wait. You made something to cover it. But I'm still naked. Wait a minute. I'm just going to go far enough and hope that this fixes the situation. I'm not going to do everything that I need to do to fix the problem. They understood. Did they understand what nakedness is? Yes, because they understood it. They, they, they told God. They knew where the line was. But they never fixed the problem. What I don't know what they made. It says loincloths. That's actually just the word tunic or whatever. Or, or not tunic, excuse me. Um, I forget. I get the words mixed up. But, but they made something that covered something. It wasn't enough. And they knew it wasn't enough. And then they heard the sound of God in the garden and hid because they knew that they hadn't fixed it properly. This is so often what we do. I just hope I can, I can, I can do enough that, that God will be okay with me. Just squeeze by. 
but we're going to hear the sound of God someday. And when you hear it, you're going to go, ooh, that didn't go far enough. <laughs> Familiarity is there for us to know how God is going to respond. I should know how God's going to respond. And it's like, it's like the guy in the, the, the New Testament. He's like, well, I knew you to be a man who's hard, and, and I, I, so I went and buried it. No, wrong. You knew me to be this type of a person that should have motivated you. You are familiar with me. That should have motivated you to do what it motivated all the other guys to do. To be productive with it. And so God has a side of the relationship. All those, all those words, father, brother, God has the side of the relationship. He comes and he repairs. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of sin, skins and clothed them. Is that right? You didn't do it enough? I'm going to have to make for you something that covers. Again, we could go into that. There are a lot of implications in that statement. But he comes to repair. But he doesn't just do that. And in fact, he goes beyond Adam and Eve. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan. Between your offspring and hers. And he, singular, is going to bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You're going to temporarily wound him. But he's going to crush you. Christ, in the garden, predicted to come and reconcile man to God. No, that's the brother who comes for adversity. Man has got himself in a hot mess again. And again, and again, not just in the garden. And he says, there's going to be this ongoing feud between mankind and evil. And, and, and I'm going to send somebody to come and reconcile mankind from the messes that he makes. Not just Adam and Eve. I'm not just, it's not just a temporary fix. But I'm making a long-term solution. That is, that's God's side. Genesis, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 4, verse 9 says this. He says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather, more importantly, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And this is so important because we talk about knowing God and 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 knowing God, and, knowing God, and, knowing God, and, and God says, it's good to know God. It, it's, it, it's a great thing to start out knowing about God. That's good. It's better to know God. But what's better than that? He says here, to be known by God. See, God doesn't say, come know me. And he invites me. He doesn't just invite me to know him. He invites me into a relationship where he knows me. God has an interest in being familiar with me. That's available to everybody. That's a decision you can make. And say, 
It's an open invitation to, know, to be able to call God Daddy. So I want us to, to leave us with one, one thought, and that is to cultivate the right <coughs> type of an environment. To, to cultivate that relationship <clears throat> where I can be known by God. That, that starts with the information. And, and it's, it, it proceeds through the, the knowing of what God's interests are. And living, not just the, the don't do the wrong stuff. That, that's kind of where we focused on with the story of Adam and Eve. But it's so much more than that. It's, it's knowing it. Andy said it in his, in his talk. It's, it's looking out at other people who are potential siblings. People around us and then saying, here's a sibling. Here's a person that wants to be in a relationship. Or I should say that, that God wants to be in a relationship with. And they, they don't even know it. Here's a person that could be adopted into the family. I'm going to share him. I'm going to share with her this information. All of this stuff is cultivating a relationship where God says, wow, I have this great relationship with you. Our interests are the same. That creates the relationship. And, and those are things I hope we, we, we leave here and look for those opportunities, either to, in my own life, to say, how can I have this relationship if I don't already? And if I do, how can I improve it? How can I get closer? How can I become more familiar? And then beyond that, how can I bring someone else into this great relationship that I have?